Hello and welcome to the 55-1 podcast. My name is Wes Berdine and on the phone is Alex Schieferdecker in Philadelphia. Hey man, how are you? Hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm great. How was, your, how was your eclipse day? Did you celebrate it by burning I your went retinas? outside. Yeah, yeah I, there were lots of other uh, office workers in Center City, Philadelphia. Everyone wearing goofy goofy glasses looking up at the sky it was a really fun 30 minutes um did it did it actually did you were you impressed did it have any feeling for you yeah it's kind of cool i mean we had like a 75 percent eclipse in in philly so it wasn't uh the full eclipse uh which would have been fun but there's another one coming in 2024 so what's so, the big deal? Who cares about make this your reservations? Yeah, well, this yeah. is actually the first full eclipse seen in the United States in 99 years. But for whatever reason, there's another one that that uh, I don't, you know, math and, and astronomy and stuff. There's another one that comes in a couple of years. Neil deGrasse Tyson told me not to care. So um, I was driving back uh, from Grand Marais, so we were in two harbors, and uh, it was like extremely overcast. And um, we were trying to figure out what to do with the twins because they're um, hellish. And like, if we gave them glasses, they would just rip them off and stare at the sun. So we were like, well, I'd, you know, I'd prefer if my child is not permanently damaged. Blind, uh, yeah. So we were like, well, let's just not look at it. I mean, I don't, I, as, as kind of cool as it is, I was just like, let's just drive during it. Uh, and, and I thought like at least we'd have like a good apocalyptic moment where the highway would go black, but it, like, like yeah. literally I didn't notice it. I was like, wait, I think, I think that brief moment where it looked like slightly more overcast for a couple of seconds was it. So yeah, well the, the sun is powerful. I mean, it, you know, it was 75% covered and it was just like an overcast like a cloud had passed in front of it. I mean, that was the only impression you got. I think that you, you really had to be in, in like the path of a full eclipse for it to get dark and weird, you know? Well, so you, how, how was, uh, how was Grand Marais? It was, uh, it was good. We took the in-laws. Uh, so none of the, I've, I'm the only one who's been up to Grand Marais and I, I haven't been up there in years. And for people, for listeners who are not familiar with Grand Marais, it's, uh, top of minnesota right near canadia uh right on lake superior it's beautiful we had like a, a ca- it was it was more elaborate than a cabin it was basically an airbnb uh house cabin uh, you know 10 miles away um it was super we did some great hikes uh, yeah uh, it was great I, I i enjoyed it i'm always like nervous about traveling with the kids because you spend so much time trying to like get them to nap and do craps but crap but it, it went well so there were uh, there were a lot of uh, Twitter questions about your uh, your trip to Grand Marais. We're gonna do a quick uh, Grand Marais tourism lightning round. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm prepared. Okay. Did they have the game on TV in Grand Marais? I basically just decided to be lazy and watch it on my phone. So maybe, but I watched it with great high definition because we live in the future. All right. This is supposed to be a lightning round. Sorry, sorry. Where sorry. that? Okay. Where'd you stay in Grand Marais? Outside, uh, yeah, I said that one. I answered that one. Outside, Grand Marais, <laughs> 10 miles. Did you take your kids to World's Best Donuts? No, I took them to Sydney's Frozen Custard, which is better. Okay, that concludes our uh, Explore Minnesota hashtag only in MN 
Grand Marais Tourism Lightning Round. Did I win? Uh, no. Okay. Well, damn. This is a really tough game. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, do you want to, like, we, we were mainly doing Minnesota United stuff this week. I took the week off last week and people were mad and... Uh, I, I I do what I want, so deal with it. But um, is there anything around the world of soccer, Minnesota United, before we talk about well, uh, Minnesota versus Seattle this past weekend, uh, anything you want to hit? Yes. The okay. Bundesliga started, and Christian Pulisic is a god. One goal, one assist. I believe he was named Player of the Week. And, and it's not just like they're pandering to an American fan base. Like He was the Player of the Week. And his goal that was guy. fantastic. I mean, oh, and his assist was fantastic. His ability to place that ball, it's, you know, uh, it's erotic. Basically, uh, I do not uh, have sex unless Christian Pulisic scores. That's how it works now. I can't I can't get the juices flowing otherwise. So, <laughs> so thank you, Christian. Uh, but, <laughs> okay, um, all, all I'll say is that this week... You know, you I was really down. The, the the news was horrible. You know, I was just like, what is happening to this country? And then on Saturday, I was like, Christian Pulisic has restored my faith in America. We're going to win the World Cup. Give the man a shield and he'll he'll oh, fight man. Nazis. Yeah. It it just dawned on me on Saturday morning, like, like in a couple of years, like I'm going to be celebrating like winning the World Cup. Like, like Messi is an American now. You know that Messi hasn't won a World Cup. Yes. Damn it. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I mean, um, he is he is great. And I, I, I do remember, like, uh, some English comment, uh, like, snobby bastard who was making fun of uh, um, American fans for freaking out about Christian Pulisic probably sometime last year. Just being like, oh, my gosh. just And it's like, yeah, we're we're allowed to be excited about the fact that we have, you know, he's not – Top ten player in the world, but he is no, but in he's probably an echelon top, top that we've never teenager. seen. He's probably one of the top ten teenagers in the world. Sure, yeah, which, okay. is, which is pretty crazy. I mean, we've never had anything like that. Never even close. No, Landon Donovan, you know, when he was breaking out, was maybe like top hundred teenagers in the world. Like Pulisic is something really special. Yeah. Anyway, it's exciting, and I love the fact that I can watch him every week. Yeah. Uh, St. Pauli uh, lost this past weekend, and uh, the other team that I, I track, uh, Whitehawk FC, in the sixth division, have lost their four, first four games. So they are so fucked. So just in case anyone really wants updates for those teams, I know there's like three other people in Minnesota who watch or who follow. They don't watch. Follow uh, Whitehawk FC with me. So, um. Yeah, well, let's let's then take a break, and we'll come back, and then we'll do this thing, which is talk about Minnesota United and talk about uh, particularly this game last weekend. Welcome back to the 55-1 Podcast. I'm Wes. Alex is on the phone. We're connected via technology. And you are listening via your own technology listeners, so thank you. Uh, before we get into, you know, sadness or whatever, let's deal with, oh, I guess this is sadness as well. Deal with your announcement. What do you want to announce to the world, Alex? You need to get something off your chest. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Minnesota United FC 
will not be making the playoffs in Whoa. 2017. Yeah. I I think um I I saw this kind of back and forth uh go on with um uh Callum uh the the play-by-play guy from Minnesota and and uh, some some kind of fans who were kind of you you included you know were kind of a little bit down after the game the other day and he was talking about how there's still a chance and how people need to get behind them and there's this kind of weird thing of just being like well we're allowed to be upset depressed whatever after a game like we don't need to be like it's enough that people are in the stands after a goal is scored against us people st- still sing and things like that but during the ninety minutes yes you give your un unvarnished love. Uh, but then afterwards, like, you can be sad, everyone. We're not good. And you can read the table. Like, Minnesota is 12 points behind Vancouver, who are in sixth, and 22 goals behind Vancouver. So, are, you and Vancouver has a... Yeah, goal differential. Oh. And Vancouver has a, has a game in hand. And Minnesota has 10 games left, three of which are at home, seven of which are on the road. And we've we haven't won a, a we haven't run a road game in MLS yet, so you know. And if let's say Minnesota were to just go on a crazy run of form, turn everything around, become a, like a really good team, we would still you know have to make like San Jose, Salt Lake, LA, Colorado. They're all ahead of us in the table. Like we have to not only do well, and Vancouver has to collapse, but. San Jose, which is one point behind Vancouver, they can't do well. You know, Salt Lake, which is five points behind, they can't do well. So, uh, you know, yes, Minnesota are technically still alive. They're, in fact, still alive for the Supporter Shield. But we're not going to win the Supporter Shield, and we're not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's just a fact. It's <laughs> Stating a fact, um, right. I'm yeah, bummed I, out about I think, it, but and it's, it's fine, you know. And it's also should, it was never an expectation to make the playoffs. Uh, we can talk about what expectations were or should have been, but uh, you also have a, an article coming out sometime this week for fifty five one. Uh, give us a give us a little um, uh, free hit. Oh, uh, I just think it's. I have been frustrated. I don't think I'm the only one with a lack of sort of a cohesive plan. I, like I'm trying to figure out what Minnesota United are doing right now to be better next year. And it's hard to tell. Um, it's hard to tell what their strategy is when it comes to transactions and, and which types of players we're looking at and bringing in, what parts of the field, what leagues we're scouting, et cetera, et cetera. So, the article is, is kind of right now a rant. It will be edited into something better <laughs> for the internet. Uh, but, uh, well, yeah. one, one look, of your, take one a look of your thoughts is, is thinking about the ways in which there have been different approaches to putting the team together. One was last year we started, we brought in the Ben Spees, the Danny Cruz's, these, the Jeb Brovskis, these guys who were MLS vets who were kind of marginal, right? So we can pull these guys in and they'll help uh, be, you know, between, they'll be, you know, between the eight and 18 guys. You know, they're not, we're not bringing Danny Cruz in to be our uh, top eight player in our top eight. But, you know, he'll probably, he could start or he'll be pushing for a starting spot. 
that didn't work, right? Because we only uh, Bernardo and Yor, I think, is the only one we brought from that, and mm-hmm. you know, and we all know. How did that you? Did out. we really bring him? Yeah, you know? yeah. He's he's got a good yeah. golf game, um, you know. And then uh, the 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 next plan, et cetera, Scandinavians and things. And I, I think so. One problem I have is that it seems like we're we're not just then putting together this kind of group of players and then building on the next set of players. Like we seem to be replacing the players we just brought in. Right. right? So Sam Nicholson, uh, uh, Jose Leton, Jose Leton, um, uh, Ethan Finley are then are being brought in to replace uh, Miguel Ibarra, Bashkin Kadri. Right. Yeah. And so all you're doing is just replacing the last round, uh, which isn't completely fair, but it is just like, Guys, I mean, we'll talk about Sam Nicholson in a minute, but I, I, I feel you. So people can go to fifty five one this week uh, when that article's there. Share it with your friends, uh, comment on it because we do want to hear, um, uh, hear from people and and, and get more insight because I think that there are a lot of great smart listeners uh, and readers out there. So, well, I think we'll touch on it. This past week, we did something pretty new with fifty five one. We we sort of had a discussion question of the week. Um, this this past week we asked, you know, what's with Brandon Allen? We brought him in. Why isn't he starting? Um, I think this week we'll we'll have that. Well, that question proved to be relevant. We could ask it again, really. But um, I think that I think that we'll have a different question. But we're trying to uh, get you know the fan base and the community and, and people who watch these games to to uh, step in and, and share your opinions because it it shouldn't just be just us talking and instead of an echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think uh, <laughs> there were some funny responses to the Brandon Allen. A few of them acted like, duh, it's this. Well, guys, it's it's discussion. Flesh out your thoughts. <laughs> I think uh, one, one, one guy we know from the Dark Clouds, Ryan Shea, was like, duh, it's depth. Like, okay, I got it, Ryan, but <laughs> say more. Uh, but anyway, please do. We, we do want to hear from people. Um, now let's hear from uh, ourselves and our own sadness. Let's talk uh, Minnesota United, Seattle. Um, it was a two-one loss in the end. It was heartbreaking, uh, but it started magnificently, right? Minnesota started on the on the front foot, and even though they kind of then lost some possession, they scored first with debutante, bell of the ball, Ethan Finley scoring. Yeah, North Shore native, you know. So I think that the first like three minutes, first four minutes were like the best first four minutes Minnesota's ever played. Uh, in MLS, like they came out and they really looked like they were pretty anxious to avenge the the four zero defeat um, two weeks ago, and you know they, they didn't score off that initial foray in Seattle because they're a good team. They're leading the West. They got back into the game. Um, they hadn't given up but, a goal in in four hundred something minutes, right? Yeah, but then Minnesota broke that, and it was a bit of shambolic Seattle defending at Jovan Jones, especially like decided that marking was a little bit beneath him. Um, but it was a beautiful, really quick read, a quick pass by Ibsen straight to the feet of Ethan Finley, who took a touch right into space forward, you know, got around Jones and it was a cool finish. And, and yeah. it was, 
A, great because, yay, we scored. B, great because it was his Minnesota debut. And, and for him, I mean, he's not had a good season with Columbus. That's why he's, he's with us. So for him, what a start, you know, what a great way to turn the page scoring, you know, about a half hour into your debut with your new team. And, uh, you know, he wasn't the only change made to the squad. You had uh, Denlati still filling in for Christian Ramirez. And most notably, you had Francisco Calvo, uh, our starting center back, our captain, moved out to the left. And you had uh, Brent Coleman back in the team, um, teamed up with uh, Michael Boxall. Um, and in that first 15 minutes, uh, Calvo was particularly uh, active. You know, he was bombing up, up, up and down. Um, well, he plays as a left back for the Ticos. I mean, that's yeah. his that's his position uh, for the most. That's that's I think the position he's mostly played in his career. So his sort of left center back thing with us is actually relatively. I think with Sapisa he was a center back, if I remember. Correctly. I think he's well, he's bounced back and forth. I think, but but you're you're, pro- uh, you're probably right. Edu is listening right now. Our friend Edu is, yeah. is listening right now, and he's he's uh, cursing at us and correcting us. So, yeah. um, but. So what do, what do you make of that overall change? That what what did the lineup? How do you see, overall? How what do you think about it? Not not talking about the result, but uh, was Calvo good at left back? Boxall is he? Uh, was it worth moving him there to get Boxall in? You know, you didn't have Joe in then. You also had you know uh, Miguel Ibarra out of the lineup for Ethan Finley. What, what do you think? I've been kind of wondering when this would happen, what it Calvo at left back, because it, it seems to me like our depth issues in defense are mostly at fullback and not at center back. Um, I think Boxall, Boxall's gotten a lot of hate and he got some for this game too, for like slipping, which it happens. Calvo has slipped a ton of times this season. Um, you know, I, I think that Boxall is pretty solid, a pretty decent, you know, I don't, I'm not, we're not going to go to the MLS Cup with him, but I think he's a very solid center back. Uh, I think Coleman is, is our steadiest center, our steadiest defender. And Coleman and Tiason are our steadiest defenders this year. And I think Calvo, we know he can play left back. So I, I guess I've been wondering for a while when we would see him as a left back and someone else filling in at center back. I thought it was good. I mean, Seattle are a good team. They were at home. They've got so many attacking weapons. And the two goals we scored were off a set piece where Boxall slipped and fell over and a penalty kick. You know, Seattle had a ton of possession. They had, they really dominated, uh, in parts of the game and put the loons under a ton of pressure. But Bobby Shuttleworth really didn't have a difficult save. I, I can only remember a single diving save he had to make and it was not that challenging of a save. Um, yeah, I thought it was I, a good I, defensive effort. I don't, um, I don't know if if this should make us feel better or, or worse, but Seattle were bad. Uh, they, they were just legitimately, um, they were terrible at finishing. Uh, you know, Joven Jones had some luck uh, against Tiasan because he's fast, and I think a lot of people, a lot of opposition, will now see like, let's put our fast guys up against Tiasan. Um, that's when he struggles the most. Um, but the. the for as much possession as they had, they they weren't particularly that dangerous. Uh, they gave up way too many chances against Minnesota. Um, th- this game could have gone for Minnesota. Uh, just, just going back to 
to the the original lineup question, uh, conversation, I think um, that Boxall maybe uh, you may just start Jermaine Taylor next to Coleman if you want to if you want a starting center back pair that will move Calvo out to the left. Why not Jermaine Taylor? Uh, I, I know that you know certainly he gave up the handball last night or on Sunday. You know certainly. I, I think he's still a better veteran. He would do very well against Cal, uh, Coleman or with Coleman. The problem is, I guess, now that I think through it, Coleman, when he's with Calvo, Calvo's the one moving forward and breaking up the play, right? Coleman's staying put, and he's marking the opposition uh, big guy like Fernando Adi. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe you do want someone like Boxall who's going to be doing a little bit more risk-taking and breaking up some plays because Coleman's not doing that as much. I think so, Taylor is fine. I think Taylor and Boxall are similar level players, and I think that they're both solid. I, I don't hate that idea. Um, so moving on then, you've got the set piece. We, we kind of covered up the, the goals that, that were given um, – given up to Seattle. Um, who stood out for you as playing well and who stood out uh, as, as playing terribly this match? I thought that's, I thought that, I thought that it was a good Ibsen game. It's sometimes hard to tell um, whether it was a good Ibsen game or not, but he had a really nice assist. Um, and he had a bunch of times where he was able to strip the ball from a Seattle player in midfield. Um, I guess that is really the the way to figure out if Ibsen's playing well, because when he's attacking, when he's got the ball at his feet, he's always the same player. But is he engaged in defense, I think is the big question with him. And that he was engaged this this past Sunday. Um, yeah, I was going to say, just to, to stay on Ibsen there, spoiler alert, he was awesome. Yeah. I, I I mean I, I think that the amount of times that he went in and kind of broke up like uh, maybe maybe I, I need to try to work on something for later in the week on, on this but his defensive map for interceptions and for uh, um, uh, recoveries is unreal like he was everywhere and he you know it, it's partially because he was just free to do everything every everyone else was. In their positions, they were kind of breaking up their 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 men. They were marking properly, and then Ibsen will abandon his position and come in and just steal the ball. And certainly that makes space. So if it, so if it fails, right? This is when he abandons his position to make a great pass or something like that. So if it fails, someone needs to be covering or or we're left wide open. And so bad Ibsen is when um, he's maybe unlucky in those things, but um, but good Ibsen. Uh, breaks our, our shape and kind of uh, breaks the rules and does it in a way that kind of, you know, there was one time where uh, it was two on one, two, two Minnesota defenders um, on the, the one attacking. That's not how you express this. I know it's one on two, I guess. But And Ibsen kind of came in and just stole the ball and ran away. Um, and it, it's... It's because he can be a wild card, and when he's a good wild card, he, he's great. But his defensive map, everyone should go look at it, is unreal, as as is his distribution map. It's everywhere, which is good or bad. Yeah, yeah. I think that the I think that Minnesota, you know, is throughout this season, the, probably the best predictor of how 
the the team will play and how the what result will be achieved is is how Ibsen is feeling that day, um, and he was up for the game. Um, obviously, they, they didn't win anyway, but um, he was up for the game, and he I thought he did. I thought he played very well. I thought that Cronin played very well, but he's sort of always does. I thought that Coleman had a number of really good clearances, and I thought that Boxall, after his mistake on the set piece, redeemed himself. He was very active, and he also had a number of, of pretty big defensive interceptions. Um, yeah, I, Boxall is is a is a good player. I don't think you know when he came in. I think um, that Seattle game he started in Brent's place, and. Um, you know, you got the impression that it that for all these NASL guys, they're one step away from being replaced with someone. Not necessarily because that person's better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I think if Boxall, if we had lost two to one, if we had had the same game, Boxall would have started the next game, right? Uh, if this mm-hmm. two to one had happened that time, and and he replaced, and I don't think that that's. I don't think it's particularly fair because I think that Coleman actually has been one of the most uh, dependable players this this season. It's not really fair to Miguel. Miguel has been uh, replaced by Sam Nicholson, who I don't think is a bad player. I don't think he's a very good player. Uh, I think that he doesn't bring anything that Miguel doesn't bring. Um, If you look at his distribution map, I think he completed... You know, half of his passes and uh, only two of them were going forward. You know, I mean, so. Yeah, he had one very nice run. He ran he ran from like the midfield line to the to the penalty box. And then he, he ran <laughs> into someone. No, he, he like dished it off when he should have just taken it himself. It was either to Melito or Dunlady, but someone sort of one of our guys do I drew his attention and just sort of, and he dished it off. He shouldn't have dished it off. It was like not the right play. It was a good run. It was a, and it, uh, it and may not have guy, entirely been his fault because someone might've been calling for it and he may have just been, you know, trying to play soccer, he's, but it, he's also getting used to the league. He's young. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm all for Sam Nicholson get, getting a chance. I think I'm more, I'm more reflecting. I know I'm being a little bit of a homer for a guy like Miguel, I think Miguel has not been good enough this season, right? So if they replaced Miguel this season, I think it would be completely understandable. But I don't see what Sam Nicholson is bringing that that Miguel do, doesn't already. And you've already got all of these wingers. You know, you've got now Jose Leiton, who's probably going to replace Sam Nicholson, right? I mean, <laughs> what, yeah. what is... Or maybe be a left back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's It's kind of confusing... I don't know. It's it's really confusing. I I, I don't understand what well, Sam's bringing. And but. and and you know this is this we're just sort of we're bleeding out of this into our sort of general topic. I think, but yeah, yeah. But this yeah. is this is this is really the. I think one of the things that has has bothered me and many other Minnesota fans is that you know this is what we say we want, right? We say we want. The team for no one to be uh, above replacement. Basically, we want the team to constantly be looking for people to replace who we have now if they're better. Um, but 
the team has very conspicuously only gone after replacements in certain positions, right? You know, as, as, as you've said, we have a ton of wingers. I mean, I think I counted five to six players who can all play in the right wing position right now. Um, right. And yet we have not signed a single person who is a natural number 10. We have only signed one person who is a natural defensive midfielder, and that's Sam Cronin. You know, where, so I, I don't understand why, and I think Sam Cronin is really good. I don't understand why there still is not a backup number six on this team. And I don't understand why we haven't signed anyone to play the number 10 position. And and I'm not going to go into the Kevin Molina thing again. I, I will spare everyone this week, but we're, we don't have a number 10. Simple as that. And yep. we haven't tried to sign one. Um, well, it's... The, the same Sam Cronin thing is, you know, last week when the the um, uh, MLS transfer window kind of closed, um, or the international window closed for us, uh, I, I wrote a kind of recap that kind of went through all these things and, and talked about the way in which um, uh, Ibsen and, and Cronin, I think actually uh, the Ibsen-Cronin pairing isn't the best. I think that uh, Ibsen is a great person, but he's also a liability. And um, what we need is for that position to not be the main uh, creative spark. Uh, I think that um, we we could have two people who are doing more Cronin-like roles, right? Cronin's not, um, not running around and chasing people around and, and making these big tackles. He's a smart guy. He's closing up space. He does a lot of distribution too, right? Really handy, like uh, bread and he butter. He stands in passing lanes is what he does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you compare his defensive map to Ibsen's even, it's, it's Ibsen looks like he's doing much more work. And at times Ibsen is doing much more showy work. Um, but... If we had a number 10 there, right, you've got a lot of creative players out there. And so our problem is that all of a sudden you've got Ibsen, uh, Molino, uh, you know, depending on the week, right? So basically you've got the four main attacking players plus Ibsen all bombing forward and maybe a fullback too. And then, you know, as we saw in that Seattle match where we got beaten 4 nothing, um, we're just completely wide open for the counterattack. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, we should not be a team that's possessing the ball and moving forward and, and trying to dictate the game. We should be playing, as we did against Seattle uh, the second time, more on the counterattack, right? We, we need to be faster. We need to be more compact, yeah. more disciplined. Uh, but, we, weren't, we weren't quite this game, but we were far more than uh, the previous Seattle game. That's why I've, I've been beating this at a 4 4 2 4 Two 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 drum this whole season is because if we're going to play Ibsen, you know we we can't we can't afford to have another attack minded midfielder on the field. If we're playing with three midfielders and one of them is Ibsen and the other is an, is trying to play the number ten role, that is just leaving Sam Cronin to defend against everyone else. You know, it's Sam Cronin against the world. You know, that sort of typical three-man midfield. You've got the you've got the Sam Cronin type guy who shields the back line, stands in passing lanes. You've got the you know you've got the guy who does the work that Ibsen does on a good day, which is harrying people around. 
Um, and then you've got that midfielder who is primarily focused on attack. Um, again, when Minnesota look good, it's because Ibsen is filling that, that second role. When Minnesota look bad, it's very often because Ibsen is frustrated or disinterested or caught out of position and other teams exploit that gap in between. And Kevin Molino or whoever uh, else is, happens to be in that number 10 position at a time has almost never been there um, to cover. And that's yeah. that's been a really frustrating thing about the tactics this season. It's why, again, I think that we have looked so much better with that two forward setup and the sort of two midfielders with a pretty defined defensive role. Yeah, I will say um, anyway. Molina was a little bit better um, for the first half of being p- part of the press. Uh, he seemed to be a lot more active pressing. He um, falls falls away uh, toward the second half. And I think that there's actually the, an, another point I want to make. Um, Calvo, Ibsen, and Molino in particular, I think those three have... Um, I think that there's some... Uh, stuff work that uh Heath needs to do to make sure that he's got these guys who are obviously the stars, right? I mean, they are um Calvo's a bright star, Molino's the guy who they spent all this gam tam on, etc. And um I thought Calvo looked very disinterested by the second half. I thought Molino um uh he was a quite, turnover I machine. Quite call it dis- disinterested, but yeah, I mean and I think that uh, at times the problem with Ibsen Molino in particular and Calvo at times is that they think these other guys around me, we're a bad team. These other guys are crap. I'm just going to yeah. have to do all this. And try to play right? hero ball. Right. Which is just, which is not, which then just creates more problems, right? It just makes yeah. everyone else look So many worse. of Molino's turnovers on, on Sunday were because he tried to play it like too fast or he tried to play it too complicated. How many times did we have a counterattack? And you know what? It just wasn't on. And so instead of trying to force it, we held it up. We distributed back, passed it between Boxel and Kalman a bunch of times. You know, that's like we were definitely parking the bus, protecting a lead. But right. So you're saying that that is a good thing, just just for for clarity, right? Right. Rather than, rather than moving forward and just seeing what you could do, shoot some crazy ball. You're saying, okay, I'm going to, sometimes the counterattack isn't, isn't available. You know, sometimes, you know, like Seattle have Roman Torres and Chad Marshall, two very good defenders. Like Abu Dunladi is getting mugged. You know, sometimes you can't feed him with a through ball. So just hold it. And so, but we never did that. We have not yet talked about, um, uh, the, Abu Dinladi uh, shaped elephant in the room. Uh, we could have been up. Uh, this this easily could have been a Minnesota game, Minnesota win. Uh, Abu missed uh, two particularly uh, one shocker. The other one was a bit tougher, but um, a good chance. Uh, what, what's your taking on him? I mean, and I know. I'm kind of uh, bleeding into our, our next segment, which maybe we should jump to in, in a minute, which is uh, someone ask you know some Twitter questions about Denladi. Um, what, what did you make though? Yeah, it was. I mean, he had bad misses. You know, um, I think that he's best, or I think that he's best right now, at the very least, as part of a two forward setup. I think that. 
Um, I think that he is, he's gotten stronger. He's gotten more physical, but he is not really uh, the type of player who, like a Fernando Adi type player who can bully a center back. Um, and you need that. Uh, I think that if you're going to play with us alone forward like that, that kind of ability is useful. So he was instead trying to play behind, and we, and we just we know with runs we couldn't we couldn't hit him. Uh, I still like. I mean, I still like him. A, uh, B. I it, think that there's nothing to be gained from putting him on the bench. You know, I think that he's got the tools. Like he should be playing, and you know he's going to make a lot of bad decisions and he's going to miss a lot of chances. He's clearly not a great finisher, but the only way he becomes one is trial and error and he keeps playing so it's it sometimes you know sucks to watch him miss a chance like the the couple that he missed on sunday but i don't you know people were like after he missed it people were like oh my god put him on the bench no keep him out there you know let him work through these issues let him figure it out yeah, especially, you know, it's not the same people, but there's a lot of people in the last couple of weeks who've been like, well, let's play our, our young guys, you know? Well, it's like, you know, your young guys, they're not going to be that good. Yeah. Just so you know. I mean, you know, and, and we're seeing that with Sam Nicholson, right? I, and yeah. I, I was giving him a hard time earlier, but yeah, l- let's, see, let's see these guys. Yes, sure. Chris Jones, um, same thing with him. You know, if, if we think that he is going to develop into a starting caliber MLS left back, and you may disagree, you may think he won't, but if the team thinks he will, then he should be playing every week, you know? Yeah, um, I, I think he should be playing every week in USL, but that's me. Um, but but yeah. yeah, so I, I think Dinladi came in for a lot of stick. Uh, Christian would have finished those, but you know, what, what can you do? I mean, Christian also maybe wouldn't have been in the position for the first one. And, um, I, I do think that Denladi has some moves to him where he was, he was turning Roman Torres about a little bit in, in, in a way that it was exciting to see, right. You know, he, yeah. he will, um, he'll flick the ball around and try to move it in, in a way that Christian doesn't do. And it, and it looks really exciting. So you know, I do, do like seeing that about his play. So the goals he scored for us actually have been, well, except for one of them, they've all been really good finishes, like difficult, interesting, like challenging finishes, um, or uh, let's say well-taken finishes. Um, my favorite finish of his was on a goal that he didn't score. Uh, it was a, it was that really marginal offside that uh, that Doug Marshak wrote about in the Seattle loss, four zero Seattle loss. Where the whistle had already blown, and he was one on one with Fry, and he, I think, he sort of did like a Rabona, like he just sort of swung his his right leg along around behind his left leg and slotted it in, and it was really a bit of flair and a bit of style that, um, you know, when he plays and the whistle hasn't blown, uh, he looks like he's trying to do everything way too fast, and yes. he looks like he's freaking out. Um, yeah, he does. He does look like the ball hits him uh so fast it, that's when he, when he and yeah. Molina are going so fast between themselves that the ball just kind of ricochets off him right he, he has yeah. no time to to capture the ball or, or, or trap it in a way that that has any softness to it and so yeah it does it, he looks it, like a he, giraffe on roller skates you know it's yeah. like but if he if he could if he could sort of every time 
he's in on goal. If he could sort of find that moment of zen he had when the whistle had blown and he knew he wasn't going to score, I think that that is what he should be suiting for. Um, let's let's take a break. We've got Twitter questions, and we're going to keep talking about this game, but um, we've, we've got some Twitter questions to direct our conversation. So we'll be back. As promised, we are back. I'm Wes. Alex is on Skype, and uh, we're here to take Twitter questions, you can always send these to us. Um, do put a hashtag 551pod or send me an email at westberdine at 55.1. Uh, a lot of times I'll get a question and I'll be like, is that just a, do you just want to know about my day or something like that? No. Oh, you want me to save this for the podcast. So uh, having that is, is helpful. Um, let's start with this because there's a lot of Heath questions. Rambling Roberts on Twitter says, why does Heath hate the fans and want us to be more miserable than we should be? David Zeller says, hashtag Heath out. Should this have been a thing three months ago? And then uh, there was another one, I think. But anyway, moral of the story is people very upset about Heath. I Maybe not so much for that game in particular, but general uh, gripes kind of building up. Um, I know we've talked about this before, but after the Seattle, this last Seattle game, do you have, uh, do you swing one way or another? Well, a, I don't think he should be fired. Um, I think, you know, what what do you gain from fire? You know, if let's say you wanted to fire him now, I mean, what would you gain from doing it? I don't see a single thing. Uh, you know, so he's not going to get fired. He shouldn't be fired. Um, uh, but I do think that this game was was sort of a manifestation of a lot of the things that have frustrated people about him. Um, you know, we were we were really clinging on to this game by our fingernails, and yet, you know, we we, fought, and we made subs extremely late. Um, this was a game that if we wanted it any chance of making the postseason, we had to get three points, and so naturally our subs were Jermaine Taylor. Uh, and then uh, for Kevin Molino and then, and then Ibarra came on and then, and then, um, Colin Warner was the third sub. So, you know, we needed I, th- I, three points and instead we were playing for one. No one likes to see their team like park the bus like that. I think the, the thing is, I, I actually have no problem with us parking the bus. I, I think the problem is for me by in the as the second half dragged on and i'm not sure at what moment but at, at, at certain moments it was just like very obvious where you could see what what was going to happen in 10 minutes right we were getting deeper 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 seattle were coming on and coming on and so you know where sam nicholson had not been effective at all and actually ethan finley disappeared pretty early in the game um but sam nicholson Eventually, uh, Ibarra came on for him. Why wouldn't you bring Ibarra on with 20 minutes to just run around, plug up some holes? Maybe he'll get the ball and make a counter, but most likely you're just getting him in there just to to do some of that defensive work that he does. Um, But instead he got uh, how many? I'm blanking on how many when he actually got substituted on. But um, He may have had close to 20, like 15, 20-ish. But 
I, yeah, I think he should have. I mean, Nicholson and the the way that some of these guys were tiring was pretty obvious way before the 70th minute. I mean, it was, you know, 60 minutes in and people were, were looking gassed. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's just that kind of stuff where uh, it, it was very frustrating to watch, uh, particularly because we just were not making... No, Miguel got eight minutes. Oh really? He came on in the eighty second. Yeah. Okay. So then it was then it was Jermaine Taylor who came on. Jermaine Taylor came on in the seventy seventh minute. So we didn't really make changes until the seventy seventh. Oh man, that was I I don't even remember it properly. Wow. That's because I was really frustrated by like sixty five seventy seventieth minute. It's like, come on, we're look at them tiring out. They're dropping deeper. Um, but but back to the question of Heath out and things like that. I, I completely agree with you, Heath. Absolutely. This goes back to our original way at the beginning of this podcast, talking about um, you know developing. Oh well, you tried this and that didn't work. You tried this and that didn't, Scandinavian players, NASL players, MLS. You, you can't if you believe Heath was the right man for the job, uh, then you got you have to give him time, and he hasn't had much time. And I know that people are frustrated with things like substitutions because they're really easy to point to and i was very frustrated with the lack of subs but people always give him uh give heath a hard time for not changing things he has changed things quite a bit this season maybe not always to our liking maybe too slow but calvo moved to the left we have these other players on i mean he's he's tried out different uh formations even um i i i I still have very big problems with how things are being managed but I, I don't I don't think it's fair to then say to take that an extra step and say he's doing a terrible job and needs to be fired. We are doing maybe just slightly worse than I thought we would be doing. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I you know, and I'm and I've said on Twitter, you know, <laughs> I'm really frustrated by him and and we talked about it a little bit the way that he has sort of protected certain players and he, he sort of plays favorites in a way that I find really grating. And I, I imagine players find grating too, but I really don't know. Um, you know, I think that uh, I'm not, I'm, I've never fully been a huge fan of his hiring. Um, but I think that he is not a bad coach. Um, and I definitely think that other people who know more than I do, you know, who know more about how the team is operated and know more about soccer than I do, made these decisions. And it, they may be right, they may be wrong, but they you definitely need to let them play out. And if, you know, Orlando gave him a year and a half and then they canned him for Jason Kreiss, and they're still bad this year. Huh, you know, it's like didn't yeah. help them at all to fire Heath. He was like a he was a scapegoat, and it uh, and and they're still out of the playoffs. You know, they're 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 heading towards their third straight season with make without making the playoffs. Yeah. I would like and to avoid that fate. I don't know if it's by never firing Heath, or I don't know if we should fire Heath earlier. I I really don't know, but I. Yeah, it comes back to what you you mentioned and we we talked about at the beginning, which is that I just if you have a plan, you have to stick with your plan, and you have to if, and if it was if it was a good plan from the start and you think it was a good plan from the start, 
stick with it, see how it plays out. You know, Eric Rohn uh, says, uh, uh, "Will Fifty Five One write an article explaining why everyone thinks Molino is so great?" I'm missing something. He's not bad. He's just not great. American Soccer Analytics uh, had, or American Soccer Analysts Analysis, I'm sorry, had an article about Molino um, a few weeks ago. I think it was kind of a subtweet of something I wrote <laughs> where I dogged on Molino. Um, but it presented some good data that showed that Molino is a very, you know, his statistics show that he's a very effective and productive MLS player. Um, I think he is, I think that description fits him when he plays on the right wing. I don't think he's a good central player. Um, but if you want to read a piece talking about why Molino is good or why people think Molino is good, um, you should search for that article in American Soccer Analysis. And then he also asked Dunlady why. I, I mean, he's the young. answer, Eric, he's is like twenty-two. He's twenty-one. Was injured. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. I mean, we only have two strikers. Oh, we do have a third one, which brings me to another question from United Loons. Even Johnny Steele has played eleven minutes for Miami this year. So why doesn't Brandon Allen play for Minnesota United? And this that goes back to. Our discussion question from last week. I mean, he's got to be—he's got to be like awful in practice or something, like like kind of that Josh Gatt where we were hearing like out of practice, like Josh Gatt doesn't look like he knows how to handle a soccer ball. Like, yeah, well, that maybe I hope Brandon Allen is not right, as but, allegedly crazy as Josh Gatt. <laughs> but just like it can't, you know, I don't know what his first touch is like. I, I don't know. I'm not watching it in practice. I doesn't make sense to me. I mean, this you know, Christian Ramirez scored in. USL, he scored in NASL, and he scored in MLS. And so the lesson I took from that was goal scorers are going to score goals. Brandon Allen has been a pretty lethal goal scorer in USL for a very good USL team. You know, put him on the field and see what it can do. But I don't know. I, I, I still have faith that we will see him at least sometime. I want to finish out on two questions from Jake Hemish. He emailed these to me. Uh, we've been horrible at set pieces, and part of this is that guys uh, is the guys we have, but I don't think Ibsen's service has been good at all. Blah blah blah. When do we have someone else take set pieces? Part of that was answered by last week or this this week when uh, Sam Nicholson and who else was taking? It was not Ibsen this week taking no. set pieces. Nicholson was a primary set piece yeah. taker, including corners and stuff. Yeah. And he was fine, I guess. Fine. Not great. It didn't, you know, only one of them went to the first defender. Um, yes, I agree. We've been bad, but we've been worse at defending set pieces. 18 goals off of defending set pieces. That is unreal. That is a crazy amount of number. That is, that alone should be an embarrassment. Well, like, how many goals has Sporting Kansas City conceded all year? 19. Yeah. That's it's wild because that is something that you can practice, right? You can get you can drill that into people's heads. Um and we may have a short team, I don't care. You can short people can still get up there and get and block a guy uh and and, and make sure their mark is is completely befuddled or or uh 
you know, yeah, I, I don't know. That that number really drives me crazy. That's iron fucking skillet yeah, right there. That is that is that is what calls for the return of the iron skillet. I think. Like, I actually want Bruce McGuire to show up in Blaine and act like literally throw things at, at players. That that is the only thing that can uh, basically slake my thirst for, for uh, justice. Blood, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and that's yeah. so frustrating because just. The, the duality of us conceding so frequently on set pieces and us never scoring on them, it doesn't feel fair. It's like other teams have like a, like a cheat code on our team. It's yeah. so frustrating. And that cheat code is, code is not being crap. <laughs> uh, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, PS, left, start. Um, so the, the next question is why did, uh, um, General managers undervalue domestic talent so much. There are guys out there internationally that could come in for the right price and be good, but guys like Abeldawi, um, man, Abeldawi, I think, uh, I think that the whatever PR campaign that was done by his agent uh, has really worked. Dylan Maris, literally the only NASL player that people can. Dylan Maris is I'm, really good. Who? Yes, Dylan yeah, Maris. No one's talking about Dylan. Well, I'm talking about Dylan. Everyone talks about Abeldawi. He's got a great and, name. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's better than Schuler has been, etc. Cruz, Danny Cruz, even though I never liked him. Well, that's sad for him. He worked his butt off, and I, and I admire that. He's better than Kadri. Damian Lowe, he, the, uh, Jake says, would be better than Demidov, which, yeah. you know, actually is something. I'm not a Damian Lowe fan in the least, but I I, I agree. Um, this season is frustrating for a number of reasons. I knew we'd be bad, but front office did not do a dream job. There's a lot of work to do this summer. Where do we go from here, et cetera? I mean, th this is a real point. We've we've gone repeatedly. You you get you go to Sam Nicholson is. I'm I'm sorry for dogging on him, but Sam Nicholson is basically Ibarra, but an international spot. Uh, you know, John Alvega is no better than you know probably ten other goalkeepers. There's probably more than that who are just on his level, but we went with an international spot. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, there's a, I mean, there's like a, there's like a logical reason, right? Which is that we don't see, we don't, we don't have really good points of comparison. You know, these teams, these leagues don't play each other. We don't have a Champions League where we play, you know, the, the, Elite Siren in Norway or the Allsvenskan. You know, we don't know how good, really, you know, the, the MLS teams are compared to these other teams. So, but, uh, that's so, so we don't, sorry. yeah. No, I, I you know, I, it, it, that's like, that's like one of the reasons. Like, why, why is there this disparity in how people value it? Well, part of the reason is because we don't, have these side by side comparisons very often, but, but we do know we yeah. do know that every everyone this is a global a global sport. There are teams in Belgium that are scouting Scandinavia that that have more clout than Minnesota United. You know the 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 one th a couple of things Minnesota United has um, is. It can it, it it can never compete with these really top up and coming European players, right? All of them are going to be picked up by a C level European team that is better than us. 
we do have MLS where there is undiscovered or not there's undervalued talent. Um, we do have uh, Latin America where there's undiscovered and undervalued talent, right? So those are the two places that we absolutely should be looking. And, you know, I mean, Calvo, Leton, we'll see about Leton. You know, some, some of this is happening. And some of it was, you know, there is undervalued MLS talent that we did pick up. Um, uh, we did pick, we did bring undervalued NESL talent in. So we did do some of those things. But I think it is, it, there are so many times where it's just like, why did we need to go international with this? Maybe, you know, we've talked about this a million times on the show, right? Maybe a Bashkim Kadri every once in a while. You know, you can try that. If it fails, it fails, right? But, uh, you know, if, if we were talking about Sebastian Latou, I would have picked up Sebastian Latou. Yeah. Guys like that who, who you know can bring you something, and then you, you, you pepper that with a few special players. I, I remember when, when DC United uh, had that, the wor- you know, the, the worst season in MLS history where they won three games and also won the U.S. Open Cup somehow. Um, and then the next season, they were very good. And the reason, or what they had done in between, uh, I think it was 2013 and 2014, is they stocked up on guys um, like Bobby Boswell, who they now have sort of gotten rid of because he, he's gotten old but they stocked up on domestic talent and mls veterans and they really my memory and i'm sure it's faulty in some ways but my memory is that they basically made a team of these guys they basically made a team of um these sort of middle roster middle you know starting lineup guys who were veterans who who knew what they were doing they knew their way around the league and they were really successful with that team. They, they didn't, you know, win the cup or the, or the shield, but they had a very good season. They had a very good team. I, I think that I'm always amazed a little bit that, that more MLS teams are not picking up on that. And I think that... And yeah. Ethan Finley is that type of pickup, right? Right, I mean, Ethan he, Finley is that type of He's certainly undervalued. You know, Sam Cronin was the same time. Mark Birch, the, these, those were good signings. They still are... You know, we, we need to we need to remember those things in in and amongst the uh, cadres. And well, the, the thing about like the thing about Ethan Finley is, I, I don't think he's going to come in and just change the way this team operates. He's not going to be the revolution, but you know he's not going to bomb, right? You know he is not going to be a Demidov, where you have this massive salary and you you can't. You know, it's providing nothing for you. He's not going to be a, um, a Schuller where he just, you know, he sort of comes into the league and he, for whatever reason, doesn't make an impact and you have to loan him back to the, you know, the team he really started his career with. Like, you know what you're going to get from an Ethan Finley. You know what his ceiling is. You know what his floor is. And it's not bad. You know, again, if you make a team of MLS, six teams make the playoffs out of 11 in each league. If you make a team of these guys, you're probably going to make the playoffs. Honestly, like that, that's the way the numbers work in MLS. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially for a starting team like ours. Um, I, I, I would love to see more of that. I'd love to see more of these 
NASL guys. I mean, I've talked about J.C. Banks, Naz Abadawi, we all know about Dylan Mayers. I mean, these are these are guys who we should be looking at. Uh, you know, just bring them into camp. I mean, even uh, you know, teams like Sporting Kansas City always bring in a bunch of NASL and USL guys into camp every year. And sometimes they don't make it, but I would love to do a lot more of that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. I'm going to call time. Uh, Alex, uh, thank you, sir. Uh, good luck with the rest of your week in Philadelphia. Um, this week is away at Chicago. There's going to be lots of people out there. I will not be one of them. I am uh, flying last minute down to Texas for my dad's 70th birthday. So, uh, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of uh drunk politics talks so uh everyone if you're praying people you know pray for me um right so um <laughs> thank you uh alex and thank you listeners and we'll see you on 55.1 and uh on twitter and facebook and all these things thanks <laughs>